Thanks to listening to Talking to Teachers. I need to apologise that I've recorded this interview ages ago, um, but I've been working on a couple of other projects, so it's sort of sat on the back burner. I've recently freed up a little bit of time because I've, I've listened to this a few times, actually, um, as I've been doing some other stuff, and I thought it was about time I posted it. So, again, apologies for the wait. And... In and around Easter, I talked to David Priest at HKCA PLK or Polan Cook School. He was getting ready to begin in August. I've been watching them on Facebook and following them a little bit, and they look like they're doing some really good things. So, once again, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. And I met a number of people who had worked abroad, international schools, etc., and I thought, oh, that sounds like it would be perfect for me. So after graduating from uh, university, I applied for jobs abroad, but of course nobody hires someone straight out of college um, unless you are an English teacher. So I did a a certificate in teaching English as a second language and applied for jobs and I had several offers, so I went to Japan because it was the furthest. And then I was in Japan for, uh, ended up being there for 27 years. When, when did you first go to Japan? Um, oh my gosh, 1978. <laughs> so was, when, when you were teaching English there, yep. was there a boom of expat teachers like we see nowadays? Was, was it a, if, if you were an expat, you were either working in the corporate field or a teacher? Or was it a bit more? Yeah, in Tokyo, um, I, I guess in a couple of the other big cities in Japan, like Osaka, you know, there were a number of foreigners. But once you went out of the big cities, there were very, very few. So, you know, similar to Hong Kong now, there's a net scheme in national native English teachers. Yes. They had a net scheme in, uh, in Japan, but that hadn't been established when I went there in the beginning. So um, I had a lot of people looking at me and, you know, pointing at me and saying, you know, oh, kaijin da, amerikaijin. You know, so, oh, there's a foreigner, oh, there's an American. Yeah. Because they had never seen Western uh, people in those towns before. So it, it was quite different. Do you think that the skill set, and this is going off on a little bit of a tangent, but I find it quite interesting because uh, I have a lot of friends who are net teachers. Mm. Do you see the skill set of teaching English as a second language similar to, to what, I guess, you, your regular school teachers do? I think, um, you know, there's a lot of transfer of, um, of skills, for sure. And, and I do think it's very important that... Um, if you're a teacher, you're a language teacher, regardless of what subject you're teaching. You know, when I'm teaching music or when I'm teaching PE, I'm still teaching English. Yes. Because English is the language of communication. Mm-hmm. And we teach through English, through the use of it. I mean, to a certain extent, I think some English teachers are still, they're teaching the language. Yeah. They're not teaching by using the language. Yes. I think that, that is that is the, the difficulty that... Um, some English teachers face when they come into a, you know, for example, an uh, international school, because I think the focus is different. The focus is on using the language to teach children. Yeah. You know, it's a little bit like <laughs> when you ask <coughs> a primary school teacher, what do they teach? They say, oh, I teach, you know, grade four kids. You ask um, a secondary school teacher, oh, I teach mathematics. Yeah. I, I teach geography. Mm. They teach the subject. Yes. They don't teach children anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I think 
that is a huge difference. Do you, spe- do you, do you see our, how our philosophy is going, especially with the, with the primary years program, going back to trying to teach children rather than specific subjects? Yes, because I think there is more understanding now of how children learn. Yeah. Um, and, you know, <laughs> little children, of course, it's much easier because they learn by copying. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have to give them examples and they have to see and hear and practice doing that sort of thing. You know, as the children become conceptually more um, abstract in their thinking, you know, they can learn more from books and learn from reading and, and discussions and things uh, and doing things more on their own. But still, you know, they still learn a lot from just copying. Yeah. So, um, and I, I think more traditional schools tended to focus too much just on memorizing information, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's fine for passing the examinations, but, um, you know, there's so much m- information that is easily accessible now through computers or books that it's actually how you can use that information, you know, synthesizing it, analyzing it. Is this real news? Is it fake news? You know, what information do I need to use to be able to solve problems? Yes. So the, the focus has been more from just information to, I think, you know, knowledge, um, skills, concepts, understanding, which is, you know, the heart of, of the idea. C- coming from a, from working in China, mm-hmm. where the, the internet's more heavily regulated than other places, do you think that's, uh, might not be affecting it at the moment, but certainly in the future, do you reckon it will affect their ability to give students the research skills and ability to work predominantly online like we're seeing? I think it certainly is an inhibiting factor because, um, as you say, there is so much information now that uh, teachers are expecting the children to go online and to research information for the most up-to-date information and and if they can't access it so easily. I mean, before China, I was in uh, India and Kenya and, you know, there were... (laughs) Electricity issues, yeah. internet issues, you know, yeah. they're, they're different in different countries, but certainly, um, you know, if you compare it to, I think Korea is the most uh, internet online country in the world. And, you know, <laughs> um, their access to information, um, yeah, it, it's completely different. Yeah. So, yes, I, I think in China, um, it's a difficulty that... Um, many people face. I mean, at the moment still, there are quite a lot of schools. International schools tend to be a little bit more creative and, and a little um, more flexible in terms of you know, trying to get a virtual you know, VPN network right. to um, access uh, information um, or you know, CD-ROMs and things like that that, uh, that they bring in. And I guess it would come back down to the preparation of the teacher anyway, because mm-hmm. even if I've got really open internet, I've still got to do quite a lot of prep in terms of the best route to go with my student. For sure, yeah. And I think you know another um, potential issue for China is that um, you know there's most of the Chinese schools anyway are, are searching for information in Chinese. So yes. that again is quite it, it's less there's less um, on online information in Chinese than there is in English. I mean, yeah. English is the you know the dominant language in. Um, okay, well, let's talk a little bit about the school. Hmm. Uh, HKCAPLK Po Leung Cook. Cook. Hmm. Uh, what made you get involved with this? Well, I um, I finished seven years at uh, establishing uh, 
free schools in China. And I felt that I had um, got them to a stage where you know, they, they were running where they should be running. You know, they, we got CIS accreditation, able to do our two authorized schools, Council of International, um, sorry, CIE, Cambridge International Education, IGCSE certification. So they were running in the right direction. And you know, I'm 59, I shall be 60. A young looking 59. Thank you. <laughs> 60 this year. And I have to say, it's, it was at the back of my mind thinking that at any moment, you know, the Chinese government could stop my visa. Yes. They could just sort of say, well, you know, retirement is 60. Yeah. You're 60. We're not going to extend your visa. Is it the same thing here with 65 it's, or is it a bit more It is 65 at the moment. It's still a lot more um, flexible in, yeah. in Hong Kong. But, um, you know, so I, and I felt I'm not ready to retire. So, um, you know, I, I sort of looked around for something that yeah. would be attractive. And, you know, having worked in uh, a number of proprietary schools, you know, for-profit schools, yes. um, I really wanted, if I was going to do something, I wanted to do something that was more um, based on not-for-profit, more charitable based, because I I personally don't think education should be a business. Yeah. I, I understand that you have to run it like a business in terms of, you know, you can't lose money. You have to at least, um, you know, keep the school running and make a profit so that that money can then be reinvested to yeah. improve the situation. Which is, a, which is a fascinating mindset coming into the education landscape in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Fiercely competitive, um, very expensive. Uh, for the most part, but this is <laughs> right. But this is where you know this is where we are looking to find a niche in the market. Yeah, is that our school is going to be the most reasonable uh, non-local curriculum PYP school in Hong Kong. Yeah. So you know we are not trying to make a money make money out of it. You know there are some very very expensive schools. Yeah, and of course yes they've got fantastic facilities. Uh, they're spending a lot of money on that, but it's beyond the reach of of, of most Hong Kong uh, mm -hmm. families. And um, speaking to you, <coughs> we've, we've had communication via email for the what a month, couple of months now, and even through the, the emails, I can sense your passion for the school, which is a great start. Thank you. Um, that, so your big point of difference is the, that it's hopefully bringing lower fees mm -hmm. um, for the same product as you're getting at, at other schools. Yeah, of course it won't be exactly the same product because... Um, you know, as I said, it's a business uh, model yes. that, you know, if we our fees are at a certain reasonable level, you know, we can't pay the teachers as highly yeah. as perhaps some of the other schools yeah. can pay. We can't afford such fantastic resources, and we have to have slightly larger classes. So there are trade-offs, mm -hmm. but um, I, I do think that particularly with you know with the IB's sense of grouping and regrouping and having the children you know, take responsibility for their own learning so that it's not all teacher focused, yeah. that um, it's, it's doable. I find it quite fascinating you say that. We, I, I, the, the, the whole smaller class um, theory or, or way of looking at things, sometimes smaller isn't better. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, the school when we started in Changsha, we had four children yeah. um, in, uh, in Hunan province. and. There were some good things about it, but there are, there's a lot that you cannot do with s small groups of children. Yeah. Uh, and I think you really need to have a critical mass of, I would say, like, you know, 15, 16 is probably the smallest group that you can really start to um, 
interact with in terms of grouping. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and then when you get to you know, 20, 25, 30, I don't think it's so different. Mm. You know, over 30, then you know, space becomes an issue. Yes. And, uh, and sometimes it's health, uh, health and safety issues that become more important. Cause I, I'm, I'm teaching 20 at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm only in my second year in the job. And I think if we get to 24, they think about splitting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've also had these conversations about it's not all pro for splitting down to smaller numbers, there is a, especially the way we learn now. Yes. Um, so do, do, you see, do you see your classes at the moment being higher numbers and then as you progress bringing them down or is, is there a happy medium of class size that, that you'd like? <laughs> I haven't really thought of it that way but um, you know the, the, the discussions that we have had with the Education Bureau and um, you know, trying to, to also understand their perspective in terms of why do they want us to run this school in, in what way but, you know, they are definitely also of the mindset that you know there is a niche in the market for a, a reasonably priced um, international school. Yeah. So um, you know they're also looking at the demand from the parents um, in Hong Kong in this area who want a similar sorts of, uh, of school. So we had to uh, promise them that you know, we would go for thirty students per class. Yeah. So which um, isn't so I've worked at ESF and we we were mm-hmm. twenty eight. Yeah. So that that's I mean not too far off what they're running with. Right. And um, when I was at school, it was like 32, 34 children per class, you know, quite common. Um, But I think, yeah, um, as the school grows, um, and uh, I I think there might be a different um, dynamic that comes into play where if we have more demand than we have places available, you know, that could be pressure to, uh, to keep the numbers Mm-hmm. At around you know twenty eight to thirty, yeah. Um, because if there are enough people who really want their children to come here, it's it's sort of you feel bad about sort of turning around and sort of saying you know no, you know we're trying to reduce numbers. Yeah, it's that that sort of dog chasing its tail a little bit because yes. it, it sort of contradicts what you're there for, mm-hmm. but at the same time, yeah, that that's a whole other conversation though. But but I think that that 30, 30 kids mark is is not too far off. Right. Um, for me, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of you're setting up a Hong Kong international school, um, but for lack of a better term, to, to give it back to the, to make it affordable for everybody. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's how I sort of see it. Well, what do you think the main benefits of going to an international school is? Um, if a family moved here and chose this, apart from it being uh, English medium, what's the major differences between how what you're going to be doing in a local school? Well, I think you know the local schools there. Uh, well, I, I've only been in Hong yep. Kong, you know, six months, so I'm not an expert on yes. the Hong Kong education yep. system. But from all that I have read about it, is that it is still very traditional, yep. and it is still heavily focused on acquisition of knowledge and passing tests and examinations and there's a lot of pressure there on children mm-hmm. uh, which some parents and a lot of children don't really like yes so um, our idea is also that you know as I said my my two subjects were PE and music I, you know I'm not a heavy academic uh, focused uh, 
educator from the beginning. So you know, I like the idea of giving children the opportunity to develop their interests and their talents and their skills. And I mean, where would the world be without you know Lady Gaga and Serena Williams? And uh, I'm on your <laughs> side here. I'm on your side here. Lionel, Lionel Messi. I mean, you know, these are fantastically talented people that provide entertainment for millions and millions of people around the world. We're not all going to be doctors and lawyers and yeah. businessmen. So you know, there's something to be said for offering you know, STEM or STEAM, but not all, every school should be like that. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I see that our school is giving the opportunity for the children to develop those sorts of things. And do you have much flexibility in terms of, I, I understand, we'll talk about the PYP in a little bit, mm. uh, the, the IB. Um, have, has the IB given you much flexibility with your curriculum or is it going to be a straight IB scope and sequence? Well, no, the IB, the IB is, a, is a framework, actually. So it, it <laughs> they have sample curricula on their website which you can use if you want to. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are certain guidelines and certain say you know, pretty much hard and fast rules that you have to mm -hmm. follow uh, but uh, it is very flexible you can develop yeah. your own curriculum from scratch and you've been given that full green light to, to yep. play around with it yep and I've worked with the IB I'm actually um, I'm doing an IB um, school evaluation in another couple of weeks now. Oh, so wow. I, I go and visit other schools and do their Thanks for the accreditation time, I understand how I, much work <laughs> that is yeah so um, no, I think I, my understanding of uh, of how the PYP and the IB work is quite strong. Yeah. Uh, and as I say, I do think it's uh, it's a wonderful curriculum framework because it does provide um, you know the skeleton that you need, mm -hmm. but it also uh, provides the opportunity for schools to localize it and to focus on the things that are important for their community. Yes. Um, you know, and also because it's concept based rather than content based. It really does allow children from any different, um, many different national curricula to come in and you know share what they have learned before, share their cultures, share their ideas, their history um, with others, which then becomes learning for everybody else. And by taking responsibility for their own learning um, and understanding how they learn best, if they then move somewhere else, that allows them to more to be to fit in much more easily. I, look, and again, I mean, I'm, I'm Mr. Mac PYP. I, I love how the PYP is set up. I love the freedom it gives you as both a teacher and a learner. Um, and I also, I also really enjoy how, how we can focus on um, students taking ownership of that learning mm -hmm. and sort of having a look at where they're going with it and taking that skill set rather than that piece of information that they could have Google searched anyway. Yeah. Um, so, did, was there any ever any thoughts of not going PYP when you when you started here, or was that part of the condition? We did have a discussion. Um, you know, I've I've worked with the IPC. Uh, I've worked with you know, national curricula as well. But um, I, I think because these days in Hong Kong, more schools are uh, have I should say have adopted the IB. Um, I mean, one of the first ESF schools that I visited was actually when. They were doing. They were going through the process of, of being a candidate school um, mm -hmm. to to get their accreditation. And uh, at that time, I think it was a challenge convincing the parents and yes. some teachers yes. as well uh, that the PYP was was good. But 
uh, these days, I think more and more people are understanding how good it is, mm. and therefore there's a lot more acceptance for it. Well, I, I find that um, certainly the, the parents are, are a different animal altogether, especially <laughs> when, I mean, not through no fault of their own, um, they're just they've been brought up well and they know what education they had and so yes. I'd like to see that in, in the students of today and I think that when people first come across uh, the IB and the PYP and there is a bit of semantics involved and it can look a little bit loose from the outside looking yes. in um, that it's easily easy to make that have that misconception mm -hmm. but it's a little bit how and I was guilty of it people used to look at Montessori education thinking that it was the wild west and people would just, They're just come playing. in and doing anything but, <laughs> but really Montessori is very close to what we do Yes. Um, so there's that whole, that whole education outside of education that needs to be provided yes, you know, educating parents is, is a very important aspect of, uh, of any school because you know, even, uh, you know, even in a traditional system things have changed since the parents were children students themselves yeah so it, it is important that parents do understand what the school is trying to do so that they can support it because it is definitely a triangle the parents the student and the teachers you know, they have to work together so that they're all talking the same language mm. they're all you know working in the same yeah. direction I'll, I'll be interested in talking to you again in, in the future about how that triangle looks because mm -hmm. I think in my past experience in Hong Kong um, the, the, the families buy into that triangle because they really want their child to succeed, but mm -hmm. they, they don't necessarily add to that triangle. They, they float about, but sometimes I feel they can take our word a little bit too much as gospel instead of getting in there and being involved themselves. Yeah. Well, it certainly is um, an experience I, I have had in the past where parents would complain that their children are coming out home and asking them too many questions and you know why are they asking me questions this is your job you're supposed to be the teacher you teach them said, well, <laughs> because the children need to understand the family the culture the mores the morals the values at, at home yes so if they don't ask the parents these questions they're never going to learn them mm. and you know it's one of the reasons why i, I i'm actually a, an opponent of boarding schools in primary because I think children need to learn those things from their parents. Yes. You know, once they've become a little bit older, you know, going to boarding school, okay, it's an option, um, but not in the early, not in the early phases of yeah. education. Um, that yeah, I, look, I, I think uh, again, it's um, that that homeschool partnership becomes even a little bit more murky in a place like Hong Kong yeah. when the, just the lifestyles people have. Uh, I've had kids in, in my past past job that, that might not see their parents um, until the weekend or they'll right. get woken up for an hour at night when, when mum and dad get home to have a bit of a catch up and it's it, it's not as easy to make that connection. Sure, I, I, yeah, I, I've, I have a, a, a bit of a sneaking suspicion that we're going to come across that. <laughs> but, uh, and it, it, again, another reason why um, I think it's nice the location that we have here um, hopefully will mean that we can have parents who live in the neighborhood therefore they can be more easily involved in, in what's going on you know bring the child to school in the morning uh, you know, even if they're working you know, later on in the day but at least you know, if, if they're putting the kid on the school bus 
and you know sending them a, an hour away to you know to new territories or something, then yes. you know, that again cuts down the amount of time that parents and children can work together and, and enjoy being a family. And and again, I'm not going to I'm not going to hit you up with it right now because you haven't experienced uh, school starting yet, but yeah. but. You'll also see that, that I'm sure when students start, a lot of the time it's, it's not the parents, it's the, the helpers yes. um, doing that. So I'll be interested to, to hear your thoughts, again, not, not right now, but in the future on how you've seen them fit into the triangle. Does it become a square? Is it still a triangle? Is it mm. a shape that I don't know how to say yet? It's, <laughs> a, it's another thing that, that I guess is part of starting up a new school that you've got to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, I, I've certainly had experience in the past where I've had to uh, you know basically tell the the helpers or you know even you know grandparents you, know, you need to let the child do it yes you know yes. The, the, the grandparent will carry the backpack and they will unpack the backpack and take the shoes off and I said no 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 that is your that is the boy's job that is the girl's job they need to learn how to do that themselves Hong Kong Stop. kids are the easily the best behaved kids I've ever come across, but there was the one discipline thing that I had to do was you can't throw your bag at, at someone who's here picking you up from school. Yes. Um, but again, that, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> um, so why, why would families choose to come here? Location, location I think, has to be one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're in Tinhau. Yeah. Hong Kong Island as central as you can get. Right, and it's what three, four hundred meters from Tinhao um, MTR station, and there's the tram down there mm -hmm. and the buses. It, it is a very accessible location. Yes, certainly. Um, another, I would hope, is um, you know, price. The our fees are reasonable. Yeah. Um, and then a third one, I hope, it would be the the philosophy of the school and you know, this idea that we are trying to um, you know, cater to individual strengths, needs, and abilities, and mm -hmm. you know, trying to develop creative, in, um, imaginative uh, learners. And has that been, again, you, you were obviously employed to sort of take reins in setting up the school. Mm -hmm. How much direction or push in certain directions have you had from the, the council that you're working with? Um, <laughs> surprisingly little. Um, I... I sort of anticipated that, that because Podium Cook has been around for 139 mm -hmm. years, they've got 100 and I don't know how many, 120, 130 schools and colleges and uh, care centers, etc. that, you know, they would be, have some rather strong yes. views on where they wanted the school to go. But um, every time I, I, you know, I made proposals, I made suggestions and they say, yeah, that's great. Perfect. So, is this their, their first foray into international school? Yes, I mean oh. they, they have a couple of schools that are doing IBDP or their own uh, their own developed curriculum. Yes, but uh, this is the first. No, well, we're not. We, we cannot call ourselves an international school at the beginning because we have no reason to. So yes. when we have the application is for a non-local curriculum private school, mm -hmm. but uh, this is where I'm hoping as soon as we get uh, PYP authorization, which hopefully we will be able to get within you know, three years, yes. um, that we can then reapply as an international school because then we have that authorization. It's funny you say that because there are a whole bunch of international schools that, that, yep. that are in name only, so I don't really know how mm. that's policed, but, but I'm glad that you're going the right way about it so that you don't get in trouble later on down the track. Well, 
this is one of you know one of the strengths of an organization like Polly and Cook is you know they have a uh, they have the history and they have you know they're very well respected right yeah they're, they're well respected so and they understand that um, you know even if like in the first year we only get you know hundred kids it's fine mm. because mm. they know that the future is going to yeah. be developed correctly. What's mm. been your biggest challenge per, from a personal level and then a professional level? <laughs> To a certain extent, they're, they're quite similar. Um, the bureaucracy here, um, mm -hmm. both of Poland and Cook and also the Education Bureau, yeah. um, has been something that is um, a little bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, for example, we still don't have our license because the f the <laughs> when when we were when I should say when I was uh, mapping out the layout of the school, I had put down classrooms and art room and music room and hall you know. and art room in a primary school in Hong Kong there is no uh, individual art room it's not a specialist subject area in primary schools right so the only uh, fire and health and safety regulations they have are for secondary school for design and art technology really and the regulations are extremely strict you know mm. you have to have a, an emergency electricity cutoff button to have water, uh, carbon dioxide, and fire blankets. Yeah. You have to have certain types of doors and windows and uh, wall coverings, and that room didn't meet the requirements. Yes. So this is now where they won't give us the, the, the stamp to say that this meets the standards until, until those we've done those things, right. And you can't just go in and say, we're not having an art room per se, we're having We tried that. Again, yeah. it makes you look at sort of what, how other schools set up, and they've they've probably got pre-existing documentation. That mm -hmm. So that that certainly is a challenge. What about personally moving here? Because have you spent much time in Hong Kong before? I've been in and out of Hong Kong for yeah 30, 30 40 years. Oh, when, right. I, when I first left England to go to Japan, I, I actually stopped for a couple of days in right. Hong Kong, uh, and I've got good friends here. So in many ways, moving to Hong Kong was very very easy yeah um, you know, after living in central China where particularly at the beginning uh, there was a really not a, an international organizational group mm. I did feel quite isolated yeah. and uh, local people there they speak their own dialect they don't even speak you know Mandarin so it really <laughs> was a completely different country yeah um, and fortunately you know I could read enough of the characters from my Japanese to be able to get around but I communicate with people, yeah. uh, which was, let's say, quite isolating. Whereas here in Hong Kong, even though I don't speak um, Cantonese, um, English is so widely spoken mm -hmm. and so, you know, it's so easy. Well, I mean, you just look at how many expats are here and have been here forever and don't speak yeah. a lick of Cantonese. Yes. Um, it sort of speaks for itself. Yeah. That, but that's part of the appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So you, you, you've been through J Japan and Kenya. China, now Hong India. Kong, oh, yeah, India, sorry, um, has going through different countries and obviously the, the slightly different protocols, but in terms of seeing a school from the construction stage through to being accredited, has it looked pretty similar as you go through? Um, well, the, school, <coughs> the schools I was at in Japan were you know, established schools, but uh, I, I did go to um, you know, 
after that, it was sort of working on uh, you know, bringing schools up from scratch. And in, in many ways, they are the same, but um, I think, as I said, the, the bureaucracy here, yeah. you know, because of the, you know, you know, British love their rules and regulations, and, you know, and China is pretty much the same. Yeah. Whereas, you know, but here there's no, you know, <laughs> under the table uh, alternate way of, of passing getting things done yes you know when I went to one of my previous countries you know you ask for a visa and they say you know, they tell you exactly how much it costs to bribe them to get it yeah so uh, but in a way I mean that's a good thing yeah but 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 it can be quite frustrating when when you're on a time budget yeah um, so you're you're we're, we're opening up in August uh, grades one two and three yes that's the plan. Uh, I've had a little bit of a nosy around the place a little bit of work still going and you're on target I think so for the for opening in, in August the as I say the biggest issue is uh, the, getting the, the license final stamp right um, and, and we're, we're still looking at, at grade one two and three yes yep the majority of, uh, of people who've um, expressed interest in the school have been for grade one yeah which is sort of understandable given the, the competitive nature of getting children into yes. you know, P1 it's for yep. here right um, but you know there are a number of families who are interested in grade two and grade three because you know they don't like the school that their children are at. Yeah, it, there's you know too much pressure on uh, on tests and examinations. The children don't like going to school. Yes, and you know that is so sad because if children love going to school, they're happy. They'll learn. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's the atmosphere that we want to try to create. So that, those expressions of interest, have you had many from local schools or is it pre-existing international schools for the most part, apart from the grade one? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, we've probably, you know, to, to register as an international school, we, we're supposed to have 70% non-local passport holders. Right. So for the moment, we don't have that regulation. Yeah. But if we're not moving towards it, yes. it could be very difficult if, mm. you know, if we have you know, 80, 90% um, local passport yes. holders then to, to make that change yeah. would be very difficult. So um, to a certain extent, families with uh, you know, children who have a non-local passport will probably get priority. Yeah. Um, and I think we've got like you know, 40, 50% um, yeah. at the moment with um, interest in that. And, and I think as from, from a uh, personal perspective from what I've seen being involved in the admissions process before um, I think it really, once you get up and running and you'll see that influx of, of yes. prospective parents, then then it, it will be easier to refine your admissions process. Yes. And plus you'll have a much better understanding of, of what you need to, to get that stamp. For sure. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> you know, any new school, one of the, um, let's say the challenge, One of the results is often that you know you pretty much accept everybody, mm. uh, and sometimes you know you end up accepting children who perhaps are not the best fit yes. for the school that you've got. Not good kids, but just not the best. Yeah, fit. right. Mm -hmm. So um, you know, and it may well be that some of the children who are you know looking at this school, uh, it's because they they don't have the fit in the school that they are at the moment. Yes. So. If, if we're going to individualize, then we should be okay 
taking care of them all. But yeah, yeah, but um, I mean, it's, it's, it's murky at the best of times. So at yeah. the moment, your admissions process, how does that look? Do the, do the kids come in in groups? Is it? We haven't started that yet because we were still waiting to see, um, you know, how uh, how likely was it that we were going to have um, the license before, yeah. you know, doing anything, you know, again, you know, the cook following procedures yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. carefully. Um, but basically, the education bureau has said, um, you know, the only issue is, is the, you know, the fire um, safety for that art room. Therefore, um, we're going to go ahead and start um, admissions interviews. Next month, twentieth oh, nice. of, of May. Yep. So, for grade one, um, I think what we're going to be doing is, is in a sense, like two rounds of, uh, of yep. interviews. The first will be more um, interactive, play, uh, discussion. Meet and read. How how are we in groups? Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the second time it will be a little bit more individual about you know, where are they in terms of their numeracy and their literacy skills. Yeah. And, and English. Uh, the understanding of English reasonably high priority in terms of yeah. that to be able to access. Right. Yeah. You know, we are not really intending to have um, you know, ESL courses except for those children who don't speak English or Chinese. Yeah. You know, so you have a child coming from Poland who suddenly mm. needs a school. Yes. And yeah. all of the other schools are full because <laughs> they didn't come here a, you know, a year or so before the, uh, the deadline. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess that, that, that potentially is, is where you guys have that, not inside running not quite the right word, but, but picking up those extra students that move to Hong Kong Within mid-year, the middle of the year and, and sure. things like that. Yes. Which, which could be a very good thing because that's certainly a problem in Hong Kong yeah. as well. Well, that is one of the tactics that we are going to take is that you know, we're going to be writing, I mean, we've already drafted the letter to write to the different consulates. Mm-hmm. Sort of pointing out that we're starting, mm, right? Um, because we understand that, as you say, <coughs> suddenly you know there's a change of staffing in the middle of their the, the, the school year, and they have new people coming in who have children. Yes. And if there's no school for those children, what are they going to do? I actually read an interesting article when I first moved here about uh, about that being a major problem in terms of getting getting workforce here. Yes. No places in schools. Right. I, I, I don't think it's got any better, but it seems to there's less publicity about it now. Um, I also noticed that there's quite a few international schools opening up right. sort of at the moment or in the process of. Ha- have you been able to work together? Is it, is it competitive in the terms of you don't correspond with the other founding principles? Not yet. I mean, actually, next on the 8th of May, is it? On the 8th of May, we're inviting... Um, kindergarten principals yep. from 20 uh, kindergartens oh, in this cool. area to come and so we make a presentation to them sort of explain about what we are so that you know their children can uh, have an option um, about what we're offering here yeah but in terms of the other schools I mean I know some of the other people um, in Hong Kong because of um, ID workshops and CIS yeah. uh, accreditations and things like that and I wouldn't say that we're you know, working well together but um, I don't I don't personally feel the competitiveness well that's I mean, good the, the new schools that are opening I think they're they, they have a different uh, target to themselves yeah and everyone's at different stages of where they are anyway. right yeah um, have, have, did the IB this is a little bit off the cuff did the IB provide any assistance 
other before you're up and running? Um, <coughs> or is that, a, is that a work in progress sort of? I don't really know what you mean by do they provide any assistance? Like, no, in terms of are they, are they saying, right, we, we currently have, um, you know, 13 primary schools using the IB, here are the contact details of? Oh, yeah. The IB community is very um, supportive of each yeah. other, yeah. and um, you know because I work for the IB on you know in terms of accreditation as well, I have access to the OCC, the Online Curriculum Centre. I can um, you know quite easily find other PYP coordinators and, uh, and discuss yes. discuss with them if I have uh, questions. Um, so yeah, I think the the, o the IB community in general is very supportive like that, um, and. You know, even we haven't even started yet, but I've already you know, informed the IB that you know this is our plan, yeah. and make contact and make sure that they. Um, you know, that was one of the documents that the EDB wanted. Is you know, do we have permission to say that we're going to be offering the IB mm -hmm. because we're not accredited? Yes. So we, you know, yes. <laughs> so you know, you have to actually get the letter that says yes, you can be um, applying as an interested school and then candidate school. Um, and do you, in terms of your staffing, hmm. you're obviously an old head when it, when it comes to curriculum and IB. Are you going to be filling that role of uh, PYP coordinator? Are you, are you, in terms of... That's not my intention, no. Right. Um, I mean, I did that at the beginning in Changsha, but um, very quickly. The IB is not so supportive of having the head of school as the PYP coordinator because a, there's a lot of time gets sucked away that you don't get to spend coordinating PYP. Yeah, and also I think there are there are some differences in the role. I yeah. mean, you know, the pedagogical leadership course that they that the PYP encourage uh, coordinators and principals to take. You know, it really does focus on the you know that um, what is it called the the, the overlapping uh, circles to see. You know, there are some areas that are both working together collaboratively, mm -hmm. but there are definitely distinct responsibilities for the head of school and for the PYP coordinator. Yeah. You know, teacher evaluation is one of them. But the PYP coordinator really should not be involved in teacher evaluation because then they can't be fully supportive of yes. trying to improve teaching and learning in the classroom. Right. So um, I've actually um, agreed my PYP coordinator from Changsha is going to move here. Oh, nice. So she's going to be, uh, you know, she didn't know anything about PYP uh, when she joined. Uh, now she's also a team, uh, a workshop leader and a team school visitor. So she has become a real convert. And she, you know, she's very happy to work with me again for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well that's, uh, everything sounds pretty good there. And, and um, your no major hiccups with the staffing in terms of, you can't hire an art teacher until you've got a, you know you've got a room. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't hire that anybody that just yet until, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we're still going through the, the legal aspects of that in terms of uh, the contracts are supposed to be signed by the, the supervisor of the school management committee. Yeah. But you can't have a school management committee without a license. You know, it's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Yes. So even though we've actually had a school management committee meeting, it's an unofficial meeting because we don't have the license. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's really. Wouldn't it be nice just to have one of those universal stamps <laughs> that you could just stamp all the paperwork with? It would. It would be lovely. 
So in an ideal world, in five years' time, yeah. where would you like to see the school? In five years' time, I would like to see the school uh, you know, thriving pretty much, uh, the full classes. All the way up to year six? Or not, well, we're just going to go grade one, two, three, four, five. Oh, okay. <coughs> uh, year six is the same as grade five. So right. once children oh, finish grade yes. five, you know, they would go into secondary school. Yeah. Um, because at the moment, you know, we're not planning on a, a year one, which is kindergarten in the American system. Yeah. Uh, we do have three classrooms in the lower entrance that you must have come past. Yes. But because they don't have access to the elevator and the, um, the handicapped toilets, yeah. they cannot be in the same license. Right. So we may well um, investigate applying for a kindergarten license just for those three classrooms as a separate, um, you know, it's almost like a separate school for year one for kindergarten. And if, if PLK got a secondary school set up for the, for the like, do you have an English medium school where your students will nat naturally gravitate towards or is that part of the future plan? Not is it too far away to finish um, Well, actually, um, you know, we, we're working very closely with uh, Ruth uh, Benny as we yes. know, the top schools. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things that she said quite recently was that you know, I think there are, she said there are like 2,500 uh, available places at secondary schools in Hong Kong mm. at the moment. So yes. there is, there's a lot of schools that are not filled at secondary. Yes. But the, the, the focus at the moment is, what well, you say, the focus, the, what is it, the, the competition to get places is at primary. Yeah, and, and I think, well, <coughs> I think that that's, I, firstly, I think the competition is good. That's why when, when I first spoke to you, I thought that, that the opportunity that you're creating here is, is brilliant. Um, I, I think that you're hopefully getting the best of both worlds in terms of that international school, but, but a more community-based mm -hmm. international school. Uh, I think it's crying out for, from what I've seen, more good skills with good, good philosophy. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly in, in the primary school, it seems, it seems education in general is secondary school based and primary school is very much an add-on to secondary schools. It's quite frustrating as a yes. primary school teacher myself. Yeah, um, because if you don't have a good primary school, the children are not going to be successful in yeah. secondary school. But, but you yeah, know, no. anyone can be a primary school teacher is what they <laughs> say, which uh, I've had some very heated arguments about that as well. I definitely disagree to that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I actually trained initially um, in middle school, um, but I found that, um, you know, teaching PE and music, if the children haven't got the basics, it's so hard to take them anywhere. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, you have a 13-year-old who can't touch a ball because they've never had to. Mm. And you know, you sort of feel how can he or she be involved in the regular sorts of activities that you're teaching in PE classes when they just don't have those basic skills? True that. Um, you know, swimming classes where you have children who are afraid of the water at 12 or 13 because they've never been in a swimming pool before. Yeah. You know, that yeah. sort of, you know, that, and that's the job of primary schools to, to give these children all of the opportunities and all of the basics that so that they can then do whatever they want to do in secondary school and beyond. Mm. But no, getting back to the question about secondary, I, I don't think that is going to be an issue because there are, there are enough choices out yeah. here in Hong Kong. Um, you know, Poland Cook has its, yeah, they have their secondary schools, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be um, the route that many of our children will take. Yeah. 
Well, well hopefully, uh, I mean, in an ideal world, and that's, I guess, where the basis of the question was from as well, is you want to be able to grow it organically anyway. Yes. Um, then, you, then you've got more ownership of it. I think sometimes, I mean, not that I've been directly involved with it, but there is the potential to lose a bit of ownership the more partnerships you have going on. Yes. Um, I, th- I think you've teamed up with with, with Ruth is, a, is probably a good thing. She she seems to be uh, very well connected and, and good yep. for advice as well. I've also had a bit bit to do with her, and she's she's one of the greats. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple more questions just to wrap, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, what advice would you give to prospective parents who might have seen the school website or? Um, talk to Ruth or, or just it's come up with converse, conversation what's their best plan of attack if they're interested in coming here to go onto our website download our application form and fill it in and send it in yeah and there's and they can fill that in it's not once they fill it in they're not signing their life away it's right. an expression of interest exactly and then you know we will be coming uh, contacting them you know, quite soon actually and uh, inviting them to come in for um, entry assessment I like to call it entry uh, interview first time. Yeah. Because it's really more of an interview than an assessment. Yeah. I think the second round is more of an assessment, um, but the first one is just you know. Just to meet and greet. Yeah. And and that's grade one. If, if I've got a year three student. Um, yeah, year three is probably you know. Right on the edge. Yeah. There. It's going to be more. Um, you know, I, because we don't have so many students uh, yes. applying as well. Yeah. I think it's going to be more individualized. Um, assessment at the same time yeah so we'll see where they are we'll see you know what they want to do what the parents want to do and are we a good fit cool um, and what advice would you give to a, a younger version of you when you <laughs> first started teaching for, for prospective teachers that are mm-hmm. contemplating getting into teaching or might first year of being in the IB and going well there's so much that I've got to get, get my yeah. head around what would you focus on Focus on, on the children, you know, it's all about, you know, teaching and learning and, you know, the children are the focus. The vocabulary of the PYP, you know, the experience that you get um, as you, um, you know, as you get older and more experience you have teaching, you add to your toolkit, so to speak. But at the beginning, if you focus on the children, the children will let you know what they need. And you know, if, if you're intuitive that way, you will find a way to meet their needs. Mm. And you know, that's the whole reason that most people go into teaching is because you know, they love um, seeing what the children can do and trying to take them a little bit further. Yeah, and, and like you said before, if, if the kids are enjoying coming to school, yep. as long as you're not playing just class <laughs> down the whole time, but for the most part, if the, if the if jobs, jobs, I was going to say 80%, but probably 60% done if, mm-hmm. if your kids enjoy coming to school and you've got that 30% of right. curriculum now. Yeah, the, in terms of the PYP, yeah, I mean, Payson is a, <laughs> you know, he's a newbie to the IB, but I, I've already sent him lots of homework. You have to pick up the terminology. You yes. know, you have to understand, you know, what are the concepts, what are the lines of inquiry, you know, what are the... Major concepts, the related concepts, the you know the learning profile attributes, all of it, it's just vocabulary. Mm. But you know, trying to remember those and incorporate them into your plans and 
make sure that you know there's a good reason that they're there. Yes. But you just got to keep little by little adding to your, as I said, adding to your toolkit to make sure that you're, you know, you are being consistent and you're using the words like you know, <coughs> instead of you know, what? Come on, eat your greens. Are you being a risk taker and eating a, a whole triangle of uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, of, of a balanced diet? You know, it's the vocabulary as much as and, and, and look, I, I I'd agree with that, and I've, I've particularly found that in my current practice is that I'm sort of being forced to look inside that vocabulary a lot more because we're a smaller school mm -hmm. with, with with less PYP experience. Um, and IB experience and a lot of the stuff at a bigger school that you kind of take for granted yeah. that's plastered all over the place already mm -hmm. and you, you don't stop to think about it but then when you're forced to look again um, it unravels a whole lot nicer and you actually gain a better understanding so, so sure. sometimes I think if it looks so big but you actually take the time just to have a look inside it then, then everything becomes a little bit clearer yeah no, I mean the, the first time that I started teaching PYP I was you know, and you look at the, the, you know, the unit planners and you think, oh my gosh, you know, how, how can we do s all of these different things? You know, but a lot of them are <coughs> things that you do anyway. Yes. But it's just um, reminding yourself to use the vocabulary and, uh, and to make sure that you are doing it. Because mm. sometimes we forget, you know, you yeah. forget about some of the values that um, are inherent, you know, some of the attitudes that you really want the children to develop. It's always the same. That, you know, if, if you do a, you know, a transverse and, and uh, vertical articulation of the program, you know, how many times do you come across the same learner profile attribute? Yes. And how many times do you come across the same attitude? And then where are the ones that are missed? Mm. But, and, and also, coming to the understanding that, that the, a lot of the, the terminology is quite general. If you're being a risk taker, mm -hmm. then, then that learning profile can actually fit so many different all along yeah. the spectrum um, yeah. don't get bogged down by that just mm -hmm. let it add to your teaching and I yeah. think that that's that's something that, that can confuse people as well yeah. last one what uh, what advice would you give to a David Priest who was 17 and finishing school or 15 <laughs> <laughs> gosh don't set up a school <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, thinking back, um, you know, when I was actually when I was like 15, 16, I, I was going to become a doctor, and then because of courses that I hadn't taken and I couldn't get into medical school because I hadn't done biology, and I just ended up doing what I liked to do, and I loved I, I loved singing, I loved playing musical instruments, I loved being in in those musical groups in the choir, I loved playing sport, I played on every single sports team that I possibly could, so. That, they, that to me, you do what you like to do, and then you don't need to work a day mm. in your life yep. because you're doing what you like to do. So I guess that's the excellent. So we'll we'll wrap it up there. If, if people want to get onto your website, yep, uh, we've got www.plkis.edu.hk. Eventually, it's going to be Paulion Cook International School, I think. Yes. Um, but at the moment, if anybody from the Education Bureau asks, it's Polion Cook Independent School. <laughs> um, but I encourage people to get on there, have yeah. a look. Uh, like I said, I've, I've had a bit of a play around on the website. It's very user-friendly. Um, and, and 
after this conversation with you and, and certainly earlier emails and having a look around, I, I think you're on to a winner and I wish you the best of luck. Well, let's keep in touch.